ultimately the scheme was set up to ensure that the disabled people you know could be brought back into workforces you know could provide a, a healthy lifestyle you know basically that's what the whole idea and the niche of ndis properties was Hello and welcome to another episode of Help Me Buy Property Podcast. Today, the topic of our podcast is National Disability Insurance Scheme, commonly known as NDIS Scheme. Now, everyone thinks about NDIS housing, but there are certain stereotypes around NDIS properties. There are certain ways to look at what NDIS provides to disabled housing. There are certain jargons in place like MTA, STA or medium term and short term accommodations, SIL, which is supported independent living and SDA housing, which is specialist disability accommodation. We are going to understand all of these things. How does that comes in in relation to investor getting better returns? What type of products are out there within the SDA housing? And most importantly, the pros and cons of NDIS investing. Stay tuned to the very end because we keep the best to the last, the pros and cons of NDIS properties. Thank you for listening to us. Have a wonderful day. Hello and welcome to another episode of Help Me Buy Property Podcast. Today we are going to talk about National Disability Insurance Scheme, commonly known as NDIS. I have one of my wonderful friends, a brother and a managing director to AZ Property Solutions, Irshad Siddiqui. Irsh, how are you today? Welcome on the podcast. Hi, Moxing. Thank you so much. I'm doing great. Um, thank you so much for inviting. It's great to be here and discuss a few things which is more valuable for our investors, our people. Um, we're getting lots of questions regarding this NDIS. Wanted to, to discuss and clear out a few things which was always seems like a hidden things. Definitely. And look, I mean, there is a lot of myths and stereotypes about NDIS properties out there. You know, there is a love-hate relationship when it comes to NDIS properties with a lot of people. So, uh, without further delay, talk to us a bit about what is this NDIS space or NDIS scheme? You know, let's start there. As you mentioned earlier, National Disability Insurance Scheme, that's commonly known as a NDIS. Uh, we need to understand NDIS is an umbrella uh, where this scheme funds money for the participants, for those people to live the best possible life, right? NDIS supports people with disability, with funding based on their individual needs. Yeah, Every participant has their own individual plan and participants control the amount of support they receive. Um, and at this stage, we have over 500 or half a million Australians with disability to access the service and support the need. More than 80,000 children with the you know development delay, ensuring they receive supports early. So wow. um, this is the reason this um, scheme came into the effect where people with the disability can have this facility and have this money to have the best possible life, not living into the hospital, not living into the aged care or nursing homes. Definitely. definitely. And look, I mean, the government, you know, has pledged the massive funding to it. You know, I was listening to some of the, the government outlays and, you know, $166 billion and $8 billion extra funding, you know, that was pledged, you know, not over six months ago. So there is um, a lot of money that the government is pumping into this and you know there is a massive social enterprise attached to it and so naturally you know that is where you know the government lens is you know to provide a better living towards the disabled people and so that makes a lot more sense i agree talk to us a bit more about you know these 
um, crazy jargons, you know, people talk about MTA, SIL, SDA, you know, let's break this down for the listeners and, you know, help them understand a bit of, you know, what are all of these things and where does housing come into play? Where does, you know, all of these other services come into play? Let's understand uh, why people and investors are only talking about the SDA housing. SDA stands for Special Disability Accommodation, meaning that the people with the disability, they can accommodate there with the best possible services. Now, how it works and how many other people and, and, and industry or I would say arm involved to provide the services. And as you asked me earlier, let's break it down into in a, in a different different category. So to to invest in SDA, which is a special disability accommodation, um, it's not only just putting money and building homes. The the reason of this scheme to come into the effect, so government wants to provide the best possible services to the people who are residing in hospital or the living in you know aged care and and nursing home at this stage. So what they want is to fund as much as possible and which is as you said 26 billion dollar and that's what it announced in 2016 to fund towards this disability housing scheme so someone can come forward build the housing which is based on the compliance and the government requirement and based on the individual disability requirement so there are category which we categorize in four different category so and for every single one there are different type of housing compliance before we go into, you know, further depth of, you know, what does SDA house, housing requires or the various different categories, could you touch on a bit more into SIL or supported independent living in MTA, which is the medium term accommodation? You know, let's give the users a bit of an understanding about, you know, all of these complementary services that still exist as part of NDIS, you know, services or NDIS scheme. You know, people have naturally the focus on SDA and the housing because everyone talks about it. And majority of the providers are in this is the space, but there is there is a lot that happens outside SDA as well. And so let's touch a bit on that too, and you know, give me a bit of a rundown about some of those things. Certainly, as you mentioned, um, SIL SIL stands for Supported Independent Living, and what it does actually, this is another body which provides you the support to help live as independently as possible, right? So if you have a disability, SIL can provide you with support if you are living alone or if you're living with a group or people or maybe share housing. So SIL is the one who provides all the services wherever the participants or disabled person is. Sure. Right? And in the same thing, there are, as you said, MTA, which is medium-term accommodation, and STA, which is short-term accommodation. What these stand for? This is, we understand in a layman, I would say, uh, understanding, is a transitional period of accommodation. Yeah. So let's say for a participant who got, you know, funding for SDA, or they are eligible for to apply for the funding for the SDA. However, they need to live somewhere. Meanwhile, they get the funding approval, or meanwhile, they're getting all the system and process done. Hence why the SEAL provider uses the short-term accommodation or medium-term accommodation for them. Sure. Right. So sure. they have their uh, short-term accommodation, possibly they get approval up to 14 days or maybe 30 days to live in a property. Meanwhile, they all the processing happening and then from there, they can transfer to the SDA home or wherever they need to go next. Same thing happened with the medium-term accommodation, but medium-term accommodation goes up to 90 days of contract. But again, same thing, funding for the support services will likely come out of the participants' core funding. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they get funding for MTA separately, yeah. SCA separately, yeah. and then SDA separately. Yes. 
Yes. And I think this is an important point. I think a lot of people, when we are talking about funding of the government, it's funding the participants. It's not funding the house. I think there is a massive stereotype when you look at and discuss it in the industries, you know, You're the right. government is backing the disabled people. The government is not backing an investment property or an investment decision, right? So Correct. You Correct. Know, it's important to understand that, that you are tapping into the fundings available to the disabled people. It's not so much about the funding available, that there is a big fund of you know money sitting on the side and the government is paying you directly. Ultimately, the government pays the disabled person and the disabled persons, you know, that pool or the budget that they get every year is divided into various different parts of, you know, independent living or supportive independent living is the housing, short-term accommodation, medium-term accommodations, etc. In order to provide a better and a healthy life yeah. from that sort of perspective. Is that, is that right? Well said, Moxin. Uh, this is very important questions to raise because what's happening with the investor out there, they're only understanding, oh, it's the government-backed scheme. Meaning that they sometimes understanding, oh, the entire funding coming from the government, I don't have to pay anything. Even I don't have to, you know, build the home. So everything will be backed up by the government and I will make a rental income. No, it doesn't work this way, right? So the funding is only for participants, for their life, to support their life to, you know, make it, you know, possible and better, right? And and we have to think not in a way, being an investor, even in a market, we have to think in a way that, how we can support that participants while using the government fund. And that's the key point to understand. It's not about only investment and your ROI. Definitely. It's more about that funding, how can be utilized in the best possible way to provide the Definitely. services Definitely. that each individual requires. Yeah. And I think it's a, it's a very important point that you're making. Ultimately, you know, as a smart or astute investor, what you should be doing is making their life more comfortable so that your pre- product is always liked and, you know, loved, right? So it's important to see from that sort of perspective. A lot of people think like an astute investor that, oh, I'm going to, you know, give them the basics because they're disabled people, you know, God forbid, touch wood. Uh, and I'm going to get the best back for the buck. You know, naturally, they do control a lot in this. And, you know, from their perspective, if they're not getting the service, why should you have access to their money that they have access from the government? Correct. And we'll Correct. talk a lot about this in the pros and the cons side of things. And I don't want to take uh, or go a bit deeper into into this at this stage. How about we talk a, a bit more into the categories of the SD housing? I think Sure. You know, yeah. the house design is dependent on various different categories of is the housing, isn't it? Correct, correct. So basically, there are four categories categorized by the um, NDIS. Uh, first one, I would say improved livability. So improved livability of the people, they are sensory, intellectual, or cognitive impairment, meaning that the house has to be designed to enhance their livability, right? And the category second comes in the robust. They are mentally challenged people. So the house supposed to be designed in to incorporate a reasonable level of physical access plus also provided to be very resilient to reduce the likelihood reactive maintenance and decrease the risk of participants in the in the house or in the community then the third category comes to fully accessible meaning you know someone required a significant physical impairment they need wheelchair all the time and then high physical support high physical support again of course is a physical impairment but also, they also require the high level of support. Sure. So these are the four categories we uh, we know so far, and that's what we're building as a home, you know, especially designed for sure. this. Could you uh, give a bit categories. of an example about, you know, each of these in relation to the participants? What are we talking about? Like a high support person is someone, um, you know, who needs a full-time carer, for example. Is that something of that nature? Like, you know, 
just to give you know the listeners and the viewers uh, some sort of re- uh, relevance into you know what does these categories means and who are the people that we are talking about correct so most of the housing design people are um, in this uh, market are building are the robust or the high physical support and the reason because robust are mentally challenged people and they cannot share the house they cannot share the room with other people hence why it always comes with a carer so the robust for example if you're building two bedroom home it has to be a three bedroom third one supposed to be for the carer right sure um not necessary to will be shared with the two different robust clients possibly maybe only one robust client but one carer sure right? so and same thing with the high physical high physical uh, you can build two bedroom or three bedroom home but again it's up to them whether they want to share with other people or not sure okay. and it comes with the support again so it has to be supported with the carer now there are again depends on their level of support and the level of their disability support changes so for example some people they require maybe two carers at one time some some you know disabled person maybe they they require only one carer at one time sure. so these changes right so when we build the property we build in keep in mind that yes we were building for participants plus one carer that carer could be 24/7 it could be on and off sure okay and and look i mean a, a lot of this may you know definitely makes sense having it um ironed out in relation to the categories you know helps the not only the housing side of things in managing and building you know what needs to be built yeah and um, but also from a user ability perspective you know there is a bit more a social sense into okay you know how is this going to work in a much more systematic fashion yeah. and so you said that majority of the houses that are built right now are in the robust and um, high physical high physical support correct. robust and high physical support correct correct is that because that these are you know better paid are the better ROIs attached to some of these things is that what drives you know people building more of these correct you're right so in compared to improved livability and fully accessible participants the funding for robust and high physical support is higher Sure. And that's what it's driving investors to build only two these two categories. Sure. However, there is another benefit of building high physical support because that house is fully accommodated to live uh, for a high physical support. Meaning, any anyone less than even high physical um, requirement, they can comfortably live in that property. Sure. So sure. if you build a high physical support, easily you can accommodate with improved livability or fully accessible people. Yeah. But of of can can it be shared with the robust as i mentioned before sure so people are at this stage i would say not people but investors are definitely driven by the roi first and and when it comes to roi yes robust and high physical support are have the more rental contribution from the funding sure. than the improvability and the fully accessible sure 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 and again great let's talk about the journey of what an investor looks like you know how does the investor makes the return and you know who is paying what and what sort of you know gross and the net returns are we talking about um Sorry. you know when looking at yep. you know ndis property and give a bit of an indication about what type of product are we talking about as well correct uh, before i go into that moxin i would like to go back and clear a little bit more about the silen sta provider sure. because what happens um we we've, we've been facing we've been talking to multiple investors they don't know what happens at the bank they only understand okay can i build a property and i can get paid $100,000 a year yeah but they don't know how they can get paid yeah what where the money comes from right and how much it comes you know and things like that and who are involved at the back end so i w- i would like to clarify this when you build a property 
once the property finished, there are two parties involved, right? One is your SDA provider. One is your SIL provider. Sure. SDA provider, you know, they're only for the provider residents with accommodation on, and, and they will collect all the rent. They, they fix, they maintain the property. It's very similar to what a real estate management company. That's sure. what the SDA provider does. Sure. However, when it comes to SIL provider, and that SIL provider must be collaborated or working together with the SDA provider. So SIL provider brings all the support that required for the participants living in the property. And, and that's where investors, they don't understand, I know, why the two types of provider? Do I have to sign with two separate contracts with two different providers? Sure. No. You only deal with SDA provider. However, SDA provider go back, they will collaborate with the SIL provider, then support coordinators and then co-workers to make sure they are bringing the participants, qualifying for your property, the design you build for, and then they will be collecting the money yeah. for your property. Yeah. Now, coming back to how they can get the money in and how much they can get, right? So, um, your income is received in three separate payments, yeah? So, first comes from the reasonable rent contribution, which is approximately 25% of the recipient disability support pension plan. And then the second one comes from the accommodation payment and the third one comes from the Commonwealth rent assistance. Now, these Three category, these three types all together when combined, that's where you look at the bigger picture of your rental contribution to goes to investors. So let's talk about scenario number one. Scenario number one is a robust home. You build two two bedroom, one part um, um, two bedroom plus one care room, and one robust participants. Sometimes it varies council to council as well. But let's say on an average, it, which is the good thing is that everything is available on the government website, which is dss.gov at au, right? Sure. Um, anyone can go and have a look. So with if the two participants, one carer, you can get up to $42,000 yearly rental contribution from the government and plus the RRC, which is called rental rent contribution and the pension and all those things, sure. which is another $10,000 on top. So let's, for example, if you're building a robust home, which is two participants, one carer home. Now, what you're expecting as a rental is you can expect up to maximum $42,000 rental income contribution from the funding, which the participants has got funding. They got a, a lot more funding for that, but the other funding goes to their servicing, their living, all the other expenses. Sure. For the rental contribution, you can claim up to, or you can get up to $42,000. Sure. Plus, there's another $10,000 you might collect from the um, RRC, which is called Reasonable Rent Contribution. Sure. Commonwealth Res Assist uh, Rent Assistant and the accommodation payment. So, all together, you're looking at anywhere between 42 to, let's say, 50, 50 52. Yeah. Approx. Yeah. Um, but this is, this is, we're talking, these numbers, Will, will vary because every participant, as I mentioned earlier, comes with their own funding. Sure. So don't rely that if we're building a, a robust home, you will be getting $42,000 exact income from that one sure. participant. Sure. Not necessary. Maybe the participants, based on his disability, coming yep. with only $25,000 of Sure. Uh, so this is funding. the maximum amount available to you for this particular house. Got and it. so your assumption in this scenario is that you're going to put two of the robust participants in there with a single carer in this house. And so you're looking at overall of what, 100, close to about $100,000 in gross income coming back to you? Correct. Correct. Cool. And so, and so what is the cost of, you know, something like this? You know, what would be uh, the, the price of the land and, you know, construction, et cetera, together? 
Cool. Um, in this market, let's say assume anywhere to build that one, you need at least three hundred square meter land. Market like this, you're not going to buy anything less than thousand dollar per square meter. Sure. So three hundred thousand dollars. Three hundred thousand dollar for the land. Construction cost is usually higher than the normal build cost. And the reason, and that's another thing people not understanding as an investor, that why I'm paying so much, $100,000, maybe $150,000 extra than a usual home I built last year. Because of the compliance, the extra inclusions, the extra requirements, and sometimes um, with the participants comes with their own requirement. They need to have those things in the house before they move in. Yes. If those, those things are not included in that house, they would not come to that house. Yeah, and so, so it's a very customized house very customized. in relation to, you know, the the width of the, you know, the entrance and you know Correct. how low the bench needs needs to be, you know, how, how high the the overhead counters can be, etc. Correct, correct. It has to be built in a way. Uh, first of all, it has to be compliance with what NDIS has given the guideline, yeah, the design guideline, flow plan guideline, and the inclusions guideline. It has to be that way. Plus, even more. So now, the more better. Uh, in a home you build, the better possibly for you, the participants come and fall in love with the property. Definitely. They don't move out. They Definitely. don't tend to go here and there. Yeah. Once they, they find their place, they will live because yeah. think about that. They've been living in uh, in, a, in, a, in a care house. They've been living in hospitals. Yeah. So we are providing a home which they can feel comfortable. They invite their family to meet. They have their open place to live and they can do whatever they want. They have their family time. Definitely. So keeping that in mind, the better house you build, the better chances for you to have the tenants staying in your property. Yeah. And so, so it has to be safe, livable, and efficient building combined together to attract correct. the right tenancies and long-term tenancies as well. I think you've, well and we'll, we'll talk about some of these things again as part of the pros and cons, but it's important to also note and understand here that when you're talking about the participants, there is a lot that participant controls, right? You know, from their perspective, they can choose to come in the house. They can choose to move the houses, you know, depending on the services that you're providing. And so ultimately there is a big social cause and social enterprise attached to this. And so you can't just drop that, you know, empathetic nature and the kind nature of, you know, the investing that comes together with this. You can't just think truly from dollars perspective Correct. when you're thinking about NDIS properties. Correct. I, I mean, you, you have to think in a way that, yes, we are the another, you, you are the one who is going to provide the better possible services Definitely. to that disabled person because he was living in hospital before. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to think, put your you know, feet on that shoes that yes, I'm going to provide the better home that he can live comfortably there. Sure. Right. Sure. And, and so what's the damage, Irsh? You know, what are we talking about from a construction side of things? You know, close to about four, five hundred thousand dollars for um, you know, potentially a three bedroom two bathroom house. I would I would say instead of putting a dollar value, I would say per square. So that will like, it depends on how big the house people are building. Sure. It will give an idea that this is the cost going to look like. So in this market, anywhere between 22,000 per square to 25,000 per square. Sure. That could be your building cost if you're building whether robust or high physical. Sure. Yeah. Um, and that's where people are like, oh, I can build on 15,000 per square. Why I'm paying 22? Because yeah. of those um, inclusions we just spoke about. Sure. Well, and, and so a, a typical size of a house of a robust Robust living or high special needs? Not really. Any anywhere between eighteen a square to twenty four square, twenty five a square. Sure, is more than enough to accommodate one or two person in that property. Sure. Um, nowadays, you know, uh, you can build twenty a square if you want a big, bigger room, bigger bathroom, and all those things. Sure. As I said, the more comfortable home you will build, the more chances for you to have the tenants forever. Sure. 
Sure. So something, a product like this, you know, you are talking in the realms and I'm going to give a range, you know, between say six fifty to $700,000, basically, that's what you're talking about. Uh, with uh, a return of almost like $100,000 on a gross perspective. In current market, I would say this has been changed. Uh, yes, in the past last year when we were doing uh, the house loan packages for the NDIS SD home, we have achieved six fifty, six eighty, under $700,000, but not anymore because their land price has gone so up. Sure. Construction price has gone up. So construction price, we're talking about four hundred and twenty to four hundred and fifty just for the three-bedroom home. Wow. And plus your $300,000 that um, land uh, cost. So we nearby looking 750 to 800 mark, anywhere sure. in that between, just to start with. Sure. And then if if the both houses, uh, sorry, both rooms are tenanted, then we're looking at anywhere between, you know, 85 to $100,000 in between uh, to collect the rental. Sure. And with the carer, do you need to pay the carer or the carer is looked after through the sale payments? Uh, you said what? Will be looked after from the sale. Yes. So, right. Um, some people actually, it's a good question. Some people ask me, hey, so I'm building three bedroom, two for participants, one for carer. Uh, can I get payment for the carer as well? The third room? I said, <laughs> no, you can't. Carer is for them. It's yes, not for not you. For you. <laughs> and, and again, understand <laughs> and this, that, you are you know, not building a rental property. Yes. You have to think you're building a carer home. Yes. So someone you're going to take care of. So don't think about the room by room payment. Think about a house which someone will be taking care in that. Yes. And because of that, you're getting the funding yes, against the it. The carer is not going to come out and, you know, give Got your it. house a clean or... <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. yes, that's right. It's definitely there for the disabled people. Okay, and so you're talking in the realms of 12 to 13% gross return. What does this return look like when you talk from a net perspective? Um, you know, what are the typical fees involved um, in relation to coming from the gross to the net? Okay. So once you receive the gross, uh, what is your outgoing? And and I remember one of the investor I was talking to, uh, he was from uh, interested and he asked me, so who will pay? You're not paying my mortgage? I said, no, I will not pay your mortgage. Uh, <laughs> so government not paying my mortgage. I said, no, government will not make my, my, your mortgage. And he was like, nah, then this is not a good idea. I said, <laughs> okay, okay, no, no worries. worries. So <laughs> let me tell you this one. Um, it's, uh, it's exactly same as any investment property you are building outside in the market. So what you pay as a owner of a property is your water rate, your council rate, your uh, interest, your insurance, and your mortgages. Exactly the same thing will apply on this property. So you will be paying out as a owner whatever you pay for your any investment property out there. Sure. So out of the gross income, what you have done, you deduct all those plus a management fee. So exactly the same as any real estate agents out there. So... Now, when you have investment property, you're paying a management fee to real estate agency, 5%, 6% whatsoever. In 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 category of SDA provider, usually in the market, they charge anywhere between 12% to 20%. For the it depends on fees. every individual, right? Yeah. And that's what you'll be paying on top of your paying all your um, owner corporations and everything. Sure. And so why is the management fee so dis... There is a massive disparity between... 12% versus 20%, is that dependent on how much work is involved with the participant? Is that what dictates in? Or is it just different based on states or people doing more efficiently versus non-efficiently? Um, every provider I have seen so far, they have organized their own way of uh, fees structure in sure. the contract. Sure. Um, meaning that, uh, let's say they're charging 12.5% as a management fee. Sure. Then there is will be the admin fee. Then there will be the per participant's finding fee, then there will be another fees, ongoing fees. 
So, and, and some provider, they only, I have seen the contract, like they only charge flat 15%, there is no further fee. Right? Sure. Then some providers say, okay, we'll charge 15% plus also uh, the per participant's finder fee. Sure. So these are few few variant in the market where the provider can um, uh, put the contract out. Sure. And each provider uh, provides you contract any anywhere between five years, 10 years to 20 years. Sure. So this scheme is for 20 years uh, from the uh, federal government and hence why the, all the provider, they sign the lease agreement with the investor up sure. to 20 years. But it works like this with a five plus 10 plus 10 or maybe 10 plus 10. Yeah. But this is the lease with the, the provider. This is not the lease with the tenant. Is that right? Correct. So this agreement will be the lease with the SD provider. So he will be taking care of that property until that period of time. Yeah. Yeah. And is there any particular lease agreements with the tenant as to how long are they going to stay? You know, some guarantees in relation to some of those things. I know I'm digressing a bit, you know, in, you know, some of these things and we'll come back to the costs out of things too. Uh, I would say no, because uh, as uh, as we know that this is not a rental property investment market, this is a care plan. So they're coming in to live in the property to you know to 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 take care uh, by someone, which is a sale provider or carer or the services, right? So they don't commit to live in the property forever or even one year. So what they commit to to services. So sale provider has the commitment with that. Okay, as long as you stay in the property, we're going to provide the services to you. Sure. So, but if they want to move out, yes, there is a process. They will give a notice and they can move out. Yeah. No and 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 that comes back to why an SDA provider and a sale provider is very very important to the equation, right? Because the more reputational an SDA provider is, the better work an SDA provider is doing. The more quality tenants they would attract and place in your properties. I think cheap is not always great. You know, people always tend to think that oh, I'm going to cut the corners and you know go for the cheapest management you know properties uh, or management fees in relation to some of these things. But, you know, I would say that because, you know, you're attracting, you want to attract the quality tenant for as long as you want, you would want the best SDA provider out there, you know, who's providing a holistic service, who's providing and looking after the tenants. And so the tenants would feel a lot more obliged in, you know, living some in some of these houses, or should I say the disabled people, you know, loving and living some of these houses. Well said, Moxin. And this is the key point. When people investors ask me, what is my risk? What is a major risk? And and I say risk is that if you don't deal with a good provider, if you just you know don't you know uh, look for a provider who got good reputation and they have understanding of, and also they have the good connections with the hospitals and the participants. Sure. Because it's all about participants. It's all about participants. Definitely. And participants only come if you have the really good provider in hand, right? Yeah. So you go engage with the best provider in the market, and then you will be more peace of mind. You you don't have much to do because you're not, you, you can't control anything there. Definitely. You, know, you just build the property and you hand over. Everything, everything else under the, you know, provider and the sale provider and other people control. Yes, definitely. And so can, and this is a silly question <laughs> and I need to be as silly as possible so that people can understand and ask these questions because naturally, you know, these are some of the it. questions that people, um, you know, go through people's head. Yeah. You know, can a person who is an investor become a provider themselves? You know, can I just rent out my own property similar to a normal investment property? Can I just say, no, I don't need a provider. I'm going to do full management myself. And so can I find someone within my family, within my, you know, outreach who I can bring in and place it as a tenant? Oh, well said. 
Uh, Moxin, I'm hearing a lot these time uh, these questions, not from you, but by the investors as well. They they ask me because um, some of them um, came to me and they say, look, their wife or their relative, they're already working in their SD as a support coordinator or maybe support worker. Yeah. Uh, what if they get their SD license and they can manage their own property while they're investing? In NDIS regulation, there is a, uh, nothing that stops you to not to become an SD provider and, and you cannot manage your own property. You can't because all you do is uh, if the comp- you're following the compliance. Right. So as long as the compliance are fulfilled, you know, you know, following the system and the process, uh, you can manage. Uh, you can you can be part of the management as a sale provider or SD provider yeah. and manage your own property. As far as I know. Yeah. And this is this is a very Im- important point because I was talking to a client a long time ago, probably like two and a half three years ago now, and so their whole mindset was that they wanted to invest into NDIS property, typically because, you know, they had their own kid who was dependent or disabled. And so they wanted that property management to sit with them so that they can provide a much more holistic and better service. And what they did was, you know, they did the build, you know, a few properties of NDIS in, a, in one compound or something. Yeah. And, you know, while their kid was supported at the same time, they were making the returns that were redirected back to the kid as well. And so it was almost like a self-serving business that they set up you know, for their disabled kid. You know, I personally love the idea. I think that was a great this thing to This is great. And, and people not understanding, that's what government actually want. Government, you know, imposing this system because so many, you know, family, they're living there with their disabled kid or disabled person in their home, but their own house is not designed the way for to give the comfort and living for the disabled person. So actually government asking them to go build a home, it will still fund you and live with that family, but, you know, build the home which is designed and specially designed for that part, you know, particular disabled person. Yes. So funding is there to claim. They can do that. And at the same time, they can take care of that kid or the person and they can live with them. Definitely. And that's what actually government wants. This is the whole idea. But people only thinking as investment. Definitely. It's not only as investment. Definitely. It's, as I keep saying, it's a care plan. Yeah. Think how can you take care of those people, whether living yeah. with them, building for them, or invest definitely, especially if you have someone in your immediate family, uh, or even extended family who is disabled. I think this is one of the best ways you can actually help them. You know, you can Correct. actually build a product Correct. that can pay itself off through the government fund, yeah. and can be a future, you know, almost like a passive income coming back to these people, setting them up for retirement. Right? You know, these people need constant care. You know, I know someone very dear and close to myself. You know, who has a disabled kid in their family and. You know, naturally, this How is a perfect is that? I mean, you feel better because you're doing something good for someone. Um, I just say, even, even it's not a family member, but if you just have this thought, okay, I'm going to build a home, which, you know, I can, because I can't see these disabled people to living in a share homes or rooming houses somewhere. No, I want to take them out from there and build a home, which is comfortably they can live Definitely. there. Definitely. Man, you're doing something good for society. You're doing something good for the community. 100%. And that's the entire idea. Let's, you know, they, even I would, I would request through this podcast to people who, who are trying to and getting into the investment in the NDIS and SDA properties, think that way, that you're not only looking at the ROI because that's fixed, that will come. Yes. That will come. Think about how beautiful and how best services and property you can provide and build out there in the market for them. Definitely, definitely. And so this was all in relation to the management fees. And so the key takeaway here is, you know, don't just go for cheap, you know, make sure that you're going for someone reputed and who is someone who is providing a lot of value in this space. 
What yeah. other fees here shall we talking about? You know, when we when we are looking at um, India's houses or is the housing? Um, nothing else. I I, I have um, came across so far. No other fees involved to you um, as an investors uh, apart from the management fee and your owners. Um, uh, fee which is applicable to you uh, sure. whatever the mortgage so this insurance, is more like mortgage council, council fees correct. you know water, water rates, charges water rates, etc., insurance, insurance. this is yeah correct this is yours and plus the management fee yeah sure the, apart from that there is a one-time fee which provide a charge as i said to you admin fee maybe you know uh, per participants fee sure but that could be only one-time charge right. so apart it's more from like that, letting fees when you're thinking about a typical very similar i would say yes yes okay cool yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. And so, out of the eight hundred that we, uh, out of the eighty k that we are talking about, yeah. that we can get, you know, if you are placing in two tenancies, going back to the original example, yeah, how much are we talking about on the net basis that can be saved pre mortgage? Because everyone's mortgage would be different. You know, people would get different rates. Yeah. Um, what are we talking about? You know, just very, very roughly, so that users can get a bit of bit of an understanding. Um, I would say, let's say, if you're taking out a prox. Without mortgage, I'm talking about yes, because mortgage is the same. Yeah. Approx, I'm talking about anywhere between fifteen thousand dollar to eighteen thousand dollar yearly after paying all your outgoing, sure, um, except mortgages. Um, if you pay a mortgage, that's on top of that. Sure, you're looking at anywhere between taking in approx seventy to seventy five thousand dollar if the both um, rooms are tenant. Sure. So this is which is net. So calling the ranges out again. So we were looking at eighty-five to hundred thousand dollar in gross return. Yep. We are talking about fifteen to roughly about twenty, twenty-two, twenty-five. Maybe you know, assuming insurance, etc. Everything. Got it. And so the net returns that we are talking about is somewhere between sixty to eighty thousand dollars pre-mortgage that you can make on some of these houses. And then that's why we say it's easy to make between ten percent to twelve percent. Yeah, pre-mortgage. Um, net, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. pre-mortgage, pre-mortgage, yes. 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 And so you're beating the returns for commercial properties definitely because the commercial property's net returns pre-mortgage, you know, sits somewhere around seven, seven and a half percent, you know, and so if you're delivering 10% pre-mortgage returns, that's, you know, that's an amazing return. Oh yeah, this is amazing return, but again, it's a case to case individual. You have to do your own due diligence. Course, you have the to, best case you have to, yeah, you have to, you have to, you have to think about whether you have the participants or not, because it's all about the participants. Of course, that's where the money of is. Course. Yes, course. yeah. I mean, you know, you think about that. You know, your fixed cost is not changing, right? And so no. you go from yeah. two participants to one participant, and all of a sudden, you know, you are making, you know, from say. $60,000, all of a sudden you're making $20,000 because that cost, that income of one participant of you know, $40,000 disappeared. So, and we'll talk about some of these in, you know, the pros and cons. That's a good segue, you know, talking about, you know, the pros of, you know, is the housing or NDIS properties. What do you think? You know, talk to us a bit about, you know, the, the real pros, of course, in high cash flow, you know, sits right at the top there, you know, from an investor perspective. Got it, um, got it. I mean, look, apart from um, uh, looking at, uh, and that's what investors um, looking for anyway, high return, right? Passive income, uh, passive cash flow and all those positive cash flows. High returns is there, no doubt. Uh, it depends on which dwelling we're choosing to build. The funding is there, and that's the pros that we're talking about. Funding is there, which is federal government back to funding. The socially responsible investment. So what does it mean that, yes, you feel good? And that's the best part I was saying that you feel like okay, I'm I'm going to do something for the community for that disabled community. At the same time, I am fully funded by the government, so I'll be making rental income regardless whether I, I buy a normal investment property in the market 
or or I invest in India is possibly more than I will be making here. But here, at least I'm doing something good as well. So, as a as a pros, I would say you know the high return, the government-backed funding, and a feel-good system in 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 you that yes, you're doing something Definitely. great for the community. This this is the best, right? Uh, but again, everything comes to the risk. Everything comes with the cons, right? There's nothing that everything is like you know cream uh, cherry on the cream. Not, yes, not all the time. Yes, right. Yes, because this, this is a specially designed property. You understand? It's highly regulated. You know, it's 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 registered with NDIS provider, registered with NDIA. By the way, when I say NDIM is National Disability Insurance uh, Agency, so they are the other uh, agency. They provide they provide all the services which required by NDIS. And then provider and 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 sales, right? So it has to be registered by them. Make sure the house is fully compliant. If any compliance missing and all those things, you might regret. Oh, you shouldn't be doing this one, right? So it, it has to be. It, it comes with a risk. Now the major thing people are facing is the borrowing capacity, borrowing requirement from the bank because all of the four major banks they don't like NDIs uh, as much as residential. Yeah, so right. there are third-party, you know, lenders. They're happy to give, and they are giving. You can get up to 85 percent LVR. Actually, I had the recent case. Uh, one of my uh, clients, he got hundred percent. I don't know how he got it. So there are, but it comes to the risk. Yes, you have to have, you know, you have to have the good borrowing capacity. Also, have to have ready with the any sort of a, you know, shortfall in a valuation shortfall. Of course, right. It not necessary every time you will you will face it because what happens as as soon as you are projecting an income of hundred thousand dollar on a property, or if I'm talking about high physically, you can go up to hundred and fifty nine thousand dollar a property. Based on that projected income, maybe you can get the commercial valuation done, and in that case, your valuation gap will be maybe none or less. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that could be the tricky part to play with. Yes. However, but you still have to ready for that if the valuation gap falls. Then you must have equity or cash, yeah, to back it up. So okay. this can drop to almost like seventy percent LVR, and you so you should have at least between thirty to twenty to thirty percent cash sitting with yourself. I would say twenty percent in current market. I have uh, that's what I have seen so far. Twenty percent uh, with the deposit, people are still able to make uh, and invest, unless they're not going above million so dollar mark. Plus the deposit is that what you're saying? Twenty percent plus the deposit. Correct. Sure. Okay. Correct. Okay. And so yeah. I, I think if we take a step back and think from bank's perspective, yep. You know, it, the major banks are not coming into this space is truly because they don't see this as a financial product. You know, they don't see this as you know typically an investment product. You know, you know if you think from a bank's perspective, I've done years and years in insurance and bank side of things. From their perspective, naturally, that there is a fiduciary duty. Uh, or duty of care to the tenants who are living there, right? And so, if God forbid, interest rate goes to say eight percent, nine percent, ten percent, and the person who has bought these properties, or a vendor in this case, or an investor, cannot hold on to these properties, the banks cannot just take over the property and sell it. They can't just kick the tenants out and you know repossess. Correct. It does not happen in that you know in that typical nature of events, and so. While that risk is low, you know, because of the high cash flow nature of the property, that risk is definitely there. And so, from banks' perspective, from major banks' perspective, they're not ready to write that. And risk. also for the major banks, also think about that when when it comes to the valuation of the property, how how does bank do the valuation because of the market statistics, right? Of course, what is the selling price? What was the sold price? What yeah. period is telling them based on that, and plus your property inclusions based on that, bank does the valuation. When it comes to NDIS property. 
you already paid $150,000 extra for the build. Think about that. If bank comes and say, okay, your property worth $950 because it's NDIS and next five houses because next doors, they're only worth $750 because it's normal home. How would be the valuation would be sort of justify in that particular pocket? Yes, from a and value everyone else will be house in the house, isn't it? Yeah, everyone else will be coming in the market and saying, hey, that property sold for 950 because from the outside, it looks same. Nobody knows it's NDIS. Yes. So the statistics on show that. So it's it's a major complex system for the, I think, major banks not to take into consideration as NDIS at this stage. Yes. Uh, but hopefully in the future, once the government has a better plan in order to uh, give them a certainty of everything, then possibly the major bank will Defin- start. Definitely. Um, and so, you know, talking and using that as a segue, you know, from a buying and selling perspective, you know, one of the key cons in this space is, of course, the resellability of the liquidity of an asset as well, isn't it? So, yeah. you know, can you buy an NDIS property? I believe not, right? You have to always build an NDIS property. Correct. Um, so far, whoever built the NDS property, they always build to keep it. Yes. They don't sell it. And the reason, as I said, because demand is super high, right? We need at least, you know, 20,000, you know, people to place at this stage now while we're talking. And we don't have a housing system at this stage. Right? Yeah. Build, people are building now. In Melbourne, possibly last few years, the people have started, you know, SG housing constructions and all those things. So what I say, it's, 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 uh, it's um, it will take a bit of time for you to understand to build and then put the participants. It's highly demanded. Supply is very less. Yeah. So there is always opportunity for you to keep investing yeah. at this stage. Yeah. Now while you while we talk about the demand and the supply side of things, yes, the demand is high and the supply is low. Um, it is quite scattered, right? You know, there are places in Queensland where the supply is crazy and the demand is very less, and so. You know, naturally, from a developer's perspective, it's in their best interest to make as many as possible because there is so much demand. And so people who are outside investors who don't know of the local areas, you know, there is a there is a very big risk where you end up buying in an area which is, you know, floored with, you know, number of properties or, you know, I've heard about apartments going up these days for NDIS properties as well, right? So Yeah, yeah. How do you control the demand and the supply in a particular state and, you know, or a particular suburb or a particular place, you know? So that risk of, you know, getting the market maturity or getting an oversupply because, you know, there is massive returns in some of these space, you know, is quite up there. Good question, Moxin. Uh, The good thing is that the government already plays a demand map on the government website. Yes. Okay. So people can go and they can check the demand in each area. They put the postcode there, the demand will come and it will show how much the funding required in that particular area, how yeah. many participants are disabl- with their, suffering with a disability, they need tones and all those uh, numbers, aesthetics are there. Perfect. However, if you get in touch with the provider we're going to deal with, you're going to you know hand over your property to, they are the best people to tell you yeah. that whether what's a demand look like in the area you're building your home is. Yeah. And that's why when it comes to the process of investing, I tell people, you resource the land but before you source the land, check the demand in that particular area. Definitely. Which area are you going to resource the land for yourself? Yeah. Then you talk to your SD provider. Say, hey, I'm going to build a home is there. What does the demand look like for you? If I give you my house, would you be able to fill that up? Do you have participants in that particular area? Yeah. Because you're not going to build the home based on only the map. Sure. And think of, oh, someone else come in and they will fill your home. Yeah. Right? Rather, you talk to SD provider first, first. and say, hey, 
if I'm going to build that house there, do you have participants you think in a year time or six months time you will be able to fill that? Sure. Say yes or no and then you go ahead. Possibly in that case you won't go wrong. Sure. What happened in Queensland because it's flooded, it's it's overloaded, yeah? Um, the demand and supply in Queensland of certain area, they build so many and also what they did back then, they started converting their old homes into the SDA compliance homes. Sure. Because there is a provision, you can do it. Funding is less, you can do it. However, in Queensland, they did so much. And when the new houses start coming in, people start moving out from those homes and they start moving to the new property because they had more facility, new design, you know. And and that's the thing people need to um, understand, consider. However, in Victoria, we haven't seen this. No, not many people and not, you know, possibly uh, recommended to convert your old home into the SDA property. Yeah. Because then possibly you will be um, not compliant. That yeah. house will be not compliant with the new new compliance rule since 2022 has changed so yeah. much. And you make a very important point there, Ish, that, you know, ultimately because there is no lease, that is a risk in itself. You know, as new houses come in place, if you are not maintaining your house well, as in as, as a house provider to a disabled person, and if there are other people who bring in brand new product out there, it's in the best interest of the participant to jump houses, right? Because, you know, naturally they are paying the same amount of money or the government is paying the Correct. same amount of money. And so why would they choose to live in a mediocre home or, or a tight home or a home where, you know, it's not, you know, pleasant to live in, for example. Correct. Correct. So, you know, and so that maturity of the market is definitely there. But I'm going to play a devil's advocate here for, you know, maybe two minutes, right? And That's so, you know, my biggest issue with, you know, the, the 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 media hype in relation to NDIS is that the media quotes that 18% of, you know, Australian population is disabled right now. Ridiculous number of 18%. That basically... 4.3 million. Yeah. And so that basically says that one in every five Australian is disabled. Okay. And so my natural thinking is, of yes, that number, you know, could be right. But, you know, these boundaries of mental, mental illness... And these boundaries of disability have been blurred out completely. You know, what is a disabled person in today's time is different to what a disabled person was when this policy was first announced in 2016, yes. right? Yes. So, um, it's it's a it's a typical example of you know what we call it or people have been calling it as an over medicalization of you know normal household problems, right? So, yeah. you know, the whole idea and then uh, of you know having an NDIS or NDIA was basically you know people. Just to support people who are truly, truly disabled. You know, you hear people who are, you know, losing confidence in today's time or opting out of work um, and finding it too difficult. Or even like in some cases, I'm going to talk a bit more extreme, you know, drug addictions, you know. Correct. Uh, which would have been given a completely different, you know, medical description before. All of them are now, you know, classified as disabled, disabled. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so this is an attraction of a lavish lifestyle, you know, that's how I would say. And probably, you know, people are going to tarnish my reputation for me saying this. But, you know, naturally, that's what's happening, right? You know, from an SDA provider. It is, it is. And, and this is unfortunate in this market that, and that's a very fine line, right? People coming from the drug addict and then they're getting proven by the their, their uh, doctors that become disabled and they're falling into that luxury lifestyle, right? And as you said, this is, this is a very fine line where the, system get abused by certain you know people or community i would say um and that's that's where the things goes dirty yes. but again if we if and and that's that's what we are trying to avoid we are together coming and and trying to help that community actually they need properties they need home they need to get out from those 
uh, disability share homes and all these places so we can provide the best possible services. Definitely. Um, and we don't want to entertain those people who uh, who have that sort of mental thought that, yes, yes, you know, I can claim the disability, I can, you know, take their luxury life. Yeah. No, we're not providing, we're not helping. We're dealing directly with the hospital people. Definitely. We're dealing directly with the people uh, actually the need, they've already got the plans approved yeah. for their funding because mm. they are disabled, they yeah. need support. I think the important thing here is that if you go back to the base case scenario of why NDIS was set up, right? NDIS was a promise to Australians made to support these special people to ensure that they get the best life of their choosing, right? Correct, and so correct. you look at these leakages, you look at these budget blowouts, you know, it's because that these lines are blurred. It's because of this definition of a disabled person is now so loose and, you know, people who are taking advantage and actually it's the truly disabled people who is being disadvantaged out of all of these, you know, equations. And so it's very, very important to understand, you know, what the whole idea and the niche is. And this segues us into more of a government funding, you know, government backed. And we've talked about this before as well, that, you know, while there is massive government funding attached to it, you know, an average NDIS recipient in today's time gets about $55,000, which is double the age pension in today's time, right? Correct, correct. And so yes. the scheme is set up skewed towards the services. Yes, housing is a small part of it, but ultimately the scheme was set up to ensure that the disabled people, you know, could be brought back into workforces, you know, could provide a, a healthy lifestyle. You know, basically that's what the whole idea and the niche of NDIS properties was. Correct. It's a both ways. Like when, when this scheme came into the effect, it works both ways because the government helping uh, those people, then investors, because they, they're happy to pay their the, the rental contribution. Yeah. But also being investing you um, coming to the market and building a home, you're actually helping government back as well. Because then government taking those participants that are living in the hospitals, they, they don't want them to be in hospital, right? They want them to get well soon and then you know move to the house. They can live comfortably, yes. right? Yes. Their own life. Yes. So we're helping each other, and that's that's where the Definitely. entire Definitely. Uh, scheme uh, was introduced for. Yes. And so uh, you know the the point that I'm trying to make here is that you know when you talk about government back schemes, you know as these leakages and blowouts and the pressure builds up, you know the government either limits the scheme or comes out of the scheme very quickly. And and this is a typical example where they had the cutoff this time June, where all the properties of NRES properties would basically you know, roll off. It's not that, you know, if it's an NRES property, it's going to stay there and they're not going to, you know, allow new NRES properties. All they're saying is that those properties who are there, no more benefit attached with, that's it. And Correct. so imagine if something of that extension happens to NDIS properties and all of these tenants that are sitting in there, you can't charge them the amount of money that you want to charge to these people. You can't charge no, the normal no, tenancies in place. And so... You know, from my perspective, that's the biggest risk attached to the NDIS space and people who are investing should not truly be only investing from a dollar perspective. They should think about the social enterprise element of this and, you know, the government's lens of, you know, who the dis disabled person is or tightening that definition could mean that, you know, instead of one in, you know, every five Australians having access to this, you know, NDIS schemes, you know, it could be one in 20 or one in 10 and that's where the market really the mature market would really disintegrate in some, you know, in some areas or some cases where there is, you know, higher supply, lower demand. Correct, correct. Now, um, well said, Moxon. I agree, totally agree with you. Now, uh, you know, taking this forward, you know, some of the 
further cons in relation to this. We've talked about the dis- difficulty in resales. How logical or how true it is, you know, while the best case scenario looks amazing, right? Two robust clients or, you know, two high physical support clients coming in. How realistic it is? Can you expect on day dot that, you know, it would be there? Is it a natural sort of thinking that there would be some vacancies attached to this? And so you need to be prepared in relation to the risk and the managing the risk sides of some of these things? Yes, you have to. Because as I mentioned earlier, let's say two different categories. One is robust, one is um, high physical support. If we're talking about the robust, robust are mentally challenged people, you know. They, 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 they need to have, you know, someone to take care of them, right? Sometimes they don't like to share any, any, um, any room or any place with anyone else. They, and sometimes it's a requirement for their health to live alone. They can't live with someone else because yeah. they could be vulnerable, for example. They, they, they are not, you know, good to other people, for example, or because they're mentally, mentally challenged, right? So we can't expect them to be, behave like you and I because, you know, they're mentally challenged. And that's why we are trying to give as much support as possible for them to live comfortably. Right. Yeah. And that's where the funding coming for. So coming back to your question, no. In the best case scenario, you can assume and you can say yes. If you have two participants in one property, you will be making that sort of a dollar value. But in worst case scenario, you might end up with only one. And sure. that, that could be majority of the cases. Don't sure. get surprised. So, sure. And that's the reason when I talk to investors, I say always take the worst case scenario. What if all the participants we are looking at and you are talking to they just, you know, want to live by themselves, just alone, right? Yeah. So if you're giving three-bedroom home for one participant, you're not expecting $100,000 from there, right? Yes. Uh, but yeah, in some scenario, what happens, some, if participants, they have only, you know, one is to one means they only can live alone uh, with a carer. No. No one else can live. In that case, government raised their funding a little bit higher than the normal, what they project. Sure. Uh, so that could be a benefit for an investor, yes, Sure. A little bit more funding yeah. may come towards that. Sure. Um, however, always keep the lowest worst situation with you in robust. Sure. Now, when you talk about high physical, it's a bit different because high physical houses can accommodate other different type of disability as well. Yeah. For example, if you build three bedroom high physical and plus one carer and you're expecting three high physical, one high physical gives you funding up to $53,000. Sure. Then you're talking about $159,000. That's a good case scenario. Sure. Talk about worst case. Let's say you have only one high physical and then their funding is, let's say, $50,000. You got it. Sure. Now, what about the other two? So, yeah. in that case scenario, if you haven't, you know, if you can't find any high physical with that high funding, then you can go and bring, let's say, improved livability or a fully accessible person, which is the lowest sure. funding and it still can accommodate. And if they're happy to share with uh, the other person, Sure. Most likely there will be because mentally they're okay, right? Most of the time, you know, they're understandable. The family, sure. their family actually wants them to live with someone, right? That's, sure. So this that's is the, the high reason. physical support. High physical you're... support. Recently, we just um, uh, talented out one, uh, two high physical support house in our West Pocket. Um, and that was the scenario. One person came in and then another uh, support coordinator came in with the participant and said, hey, they actually want to live with someone. They don't want to live alone. Sure. So this could be a scenario. They don't want to live alone because they want to socialize with someone. Sure. They want to make a home and family there. Sure. So then then in high physical, you have a little bit of different chances to mix it and have the rental income yeah. increase. 
And so what you are saying is it's important to consider that, you know, it's not always the best case scenario. Uh, the, the more realistic scenario is that you might have one high support person and maybe to improve livability, you know, side of clients, you know, rather than having three high support person, which might look great on paper, yeah. but it's not really applicable. How easy it is to find some of these people when we are talking about high physical support or robust, you know, out of, you know, the 14% or the 18% disability that, the, the media claims or the government claims, what is the percentage of the people there? Do you have any numbers in relation to that, Irsh? Um, it's hard to give the numbers, but it's not too hard to find participants um, at this stage because supply is really, really low. Uh, participants are actually waiting. They're in the waiting list. Sure. So as soon as the house is coming, they are in the line already. We have at this stage, I, my company, AZ Property Solutions, partner up with the Select Home Living, which is a provider company. And what we do together is we take care of all the measurement, right? So if if we're building in a home, then we already have in that um, consideration that we're going to start hunting for those people and finding and talking to the participants, talking to the sale provider, talking to the support coordinators. Sure. So we know in advance that how many people and participants are still waiting, right? So people are at this stage on the waiting list, to be honest. It's not hard to find. It's not hard to find. Maybe in future years, when the market gets in a saturation point, when the houses get flooded, which um, which will happen eventually in five years' time. Yes. But at this stage, no, because we don't have that enough supply. Yeah. Um, nobody's struggling. Everyone getting the participants. And majority of these houses, are they built in mature areas? Are they built in greenfield suburbs? You know, where do you see the demand and the supply coming through? So when you think of demand and supply, um, uh, the first thing first, what these people... Um, requirements are yeah so the, the major requirement is it has to be close to hospital you know, and local amenities so shopping center close by hospitals close by and if that is okay if it's come coming under that then possibly you can build there you can you can fill that house easily sure. although closer to cbd has a higher demand than the further away right? sure so any anywhere within 20 30 kilometer from the cbd uh, that's where the participants wants to live because they they've been missing that lifestyle. They want to live closer to the city and their family. Sure. However, it doesn't mean the demand is not further down in the regional area or any anywhere forty or fifty kilometer away from the CBD. Sure. There is always demand. As I said, there is a demand map. You can always check there and 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 talk to your provider beforehand before you're thinking of investing in that particular area. They will tell you, hey, we have participants because. They're talking to the hospital. They're talking to the aged care people and the service care people. They know that how many people they're waiting and how many people required homes at this stage. Awesome. Look, I am out of the questions. Iris, <laughs> thank you for coming on the podcast today. Any parting words, any last words in relation to the viewers and the listeners who are, you know, tagged in, you know, listening to you, you know, relation to the podcast, relation to your business, you know, where can people reach you? Where can people find you? You know, give them a bit of an indication there. Sorry, um, azpropertysolutions.com.au is the, our website where you can find us easy. Um, on social media, you can find me easy. But at the, at the last, what I want to uh, tell my um, investors that if you're looking to invest into the NDIS, make sure you do your own due diligence. Whatever we have discussed today here, based on the information provided by the government website, our own research, our own data, doesn't mean that you just rely on that and go ahead and invest based on the numbers we just discussed. But we discussed about the risk as well. So you had to be mindful. Now, 
to understand more and depth into it, we have the complete process and knowledge and the full of, you know, backed up knowledgeable people at the back end of the company as well. Feel free to reach out to us. We will take you and, and we, will, we will guide you through a step-by-step, including the demand area, the land resource, the construction cost, construct, constructions, and then participants after that uh, completion of the home. Perfect. So, yeah. Thank you very much. And to the listeners and the viewers, look, you know, if you have an NDIS property, please do jump in the comments or in the sections below, you know, talk about, you know, what problems have you seen? What issues have you faced? What sort of risks do you see together? And on top of what we've discussed today, and also the good news stories, right? You know, people who have achieved, you know, amazing out of India's properties. Right, and are making yeah, good yeah. Returns. please feel free to share with us yeah, so we can implement more. Definitely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you know, feel, feel free to reach me and my team. Thank you for listening to another episode of Help Me Buy today. Keep investing, keep smiling, stay safe. This is Moss and Irsh checking out. Adios. Thank you. Bye-bye.